a lot of the, the book reviews of, of, of Gay Bar are like sometimes somewhere between like 10 to 40% like the author's own experiences because it kind of invites that. And I, that made me really glad that it felt like the, the fact that I'm um, getting back to that idea of being really, really specific about your, um, your ex own experiences um, means that it kind of maybe probably does a better job at communicating um, I don't know, like opening up a conversation about what other people's very specific experiences are, rather than trying to speak on behalf of everybody. Um, I mean, the, the why we went out is a bit of a red herring, really, in the title. The fact that I say we, I'm obviously not trying to speak for like the gay popul populace. Welcome back to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Again, delivering another Pride Month adjacent. It might not still be Pride Month, but I don't know. I'm considering the whole summer Pride Month, um, just because I think we need a lot of that positivity. Um, so I'm really excited to be joined by an author who I've messaged him a lot over Instagram. Um, he does something that I really love, which is he combines like academic queer insight with the memoir. So we'll get into that genre. I don't want to spoil it all right now, but I'm actually joined with Jeremy Atherton Lynn, the author of Gay Bar, Why We Went Out. And just to introduce you to Jeremy, he was raised in California. We were talking a lot about California. Um, he lives in the UK and he studied writing at the Royal College of Art. His work has been published in The White Review, Tinted Window, and The Times Literary Supplement. He has won multiple awards. He's an editor at Failed States, a journal of art and writing on place. Okay, I think I covered it, Jeremy. So without further ado, here is Jeremy. Thank Hi. you so much for joining me today. Hi, Andrew. <laughs> so for everyone out there, you know, definitely, I love that on the cover of Gay Bar. First, you have such a lovely art piece. Like, can you explain this photograph of the two, I'm assuming, male-identified yeah, models? I, that photographer is in Spain. <laughs> or is he in France? Um, and um, he's, it's, he's in Europe. And he's a relatively new photographer who I think somebody just found his work online and he takes really great sweaty pictures of um, like queer club environments. Um, 
but yeah, I was happy with it. I like the anonymity because I think it kind of the the fa the fact that you can't couldn't, can't see their faces kind of goes to show um, or it goes to, it speaks to some themes that run throughout the book about what it is to kind of lose your sense of self or or want to lose your sense of self um, in in nightlife environments. But also, um, it's I also like that it's kind of ambiguous in terms of the fact that I mean I'm mixed race and it's really hard actually really hard to find photographs that um portray I don't know it's 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 nice that 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 you could you can kind of project um the characters in the book on onto to that or or not <laughs> yeah yeah well and for everyone out there you get a lot of pictures of white of white dudes, <laughs> white dudes yeah and I mean definitely we're gonna talk about the race politics with the mm. you know gay culture that you address, um, just for everyone who's listening, I mean, I'm sure when they tune into an episode called Gay Bar, you all know that if you have children in the room, <laughs> this is going to be a very, you know, explicit discussion about sex as it should be because Jeremy, you break so much, um, so many boundaries that I think are important. So yeah. um, Jeremy's wearing his infamous baseball hat. Um, and the only reason I say infamous is because you right away kind of show us your sexual body. And I thought that was a really interesting entryway into studying the gay bar. So like, maybe let's start there. Why, why sure. did you know, okay, I need to like open up my own sexual history? Yeah, I mean, I think, well, I mean, it's interesting that you say that, like, you know, you could walk into a room and a podcast could be playing about gay bars so that, and so you could kind of intuit that it would, that it was would potentially have like explicit sexual content because on, in another way in this day and age that might not be the case at all there might be a conversation around um um sort of queer spaces that um kind of um remove remove sexuality um and really focus on um affirmation that's based more on um sort of cultural identity so I think that is something that I was kind of charging that first paragraph uh, chapter <laughs> and then subsequent um, passages throughout that I wanted to be sure that it was um, a sex space, um, that um, a sex driven space. And it, it's played up um, a little bit provocatively um, on purpose, this kind of um, the lines that come into the book um, we, you know, the subtitles, we go, why we went out. And there's these lines in the book, like we went, we go out to get some and things mm -hmm. like that, which are, um, you know, kind of a provocation because um, in the next paragraph, I might say that we go out for another reason, which is to like let off steam or whatever like that. But I think um, I definitely wanted to make sure that that was, um, you know, it, it comes, I think, I think one of the, one of the places where it sort of, one of the sites it sort of crystallizes in a way is the Twin Peaks Tavern in San Francisco, which I hope you'll go to when you, um, when you get to San Francisco. Um, yeah. But they're, they're the, what the kind of the biggest, um, I mean, the, sorry, the first, um, known to be the first bar that had large plate glass windows and because of that um they the owners were very um circumspect about um what that you know they were they're, they're actually quite rulesy with their 
their clients and didn't want them kind of um, manhandling each other and and kissing even and 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 in 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 view of the window. So um, so yeah, I kind of um, quote I think it is David Halpern there about this kind of desexualization of queer culture in order to kind of put together put sorry put forward a kind of a whole more wholesome image which may be conducive to civil rights and it can and has been, um, but maybe also kind of creates an anodyne, um, uh, you know, takes away the, <laughs> the naughty thrill. Yeah, well, and I know there's been a lot written by um, queer scholars recently about like that their sex has been taken out of queer studies or sex mm. is taken out of, anything like you're saying there's almost that um trying to present anything that has to do like you said with the gay bar that you know oh it's a place just like any other place like that assimilation narrative so i think it's really important that um you're breaking i don't, I don't want to keep saying breaking boundaries but like you're going against the grain i'll say it that way in current respectability politics of okay well sure you know, I'm going to go against this heteronormative. Sure, is that, a, is that a saying, respectability politics? Or did you just make- Yeah, no, that? I've heard that before in activist okay. circles. Okay, yeah. okay, well, I'll, I'll use that because it, yeah, yeah, it does kind of sum up. Um, I understand what that's representing, but yeah, I think, um, but these kinds of things also, it's sort of like you, you follow your intuition, right? And you mm -hmm. follow your, um, you, um, instinct to um, kind of like show a side of you, you yourself that you think maybe if you're willing to, I mean, I just recently interviewed um, um, the comedian um, Mae Martin. Um, they're a stand-up comic and they have a great show on Netflix um, called um, Feel Good. And um, I was reviewing, um, yeah, highly recommended. Um, um, and I was watching, uh, there's one of their stand-ups, stand they, they have a bit where they talk about the fact that if, if you reveal something about you that you kind of worry is like the kind of weird thing, it winds up being something that other people relate to. And um, so maybe, maybe that kind of comes from that sort of instinct. And also just like, I'm not really a contrarian by nature, I don't think, um, politically or anything, or so like sort of in social encounters or whatever, but I do always try to look at everything from a bunch of different angles. Yeah, well, um, and I really loved that we get this image of you on your knees, like in some kind of glory hole situation, right? Like I brought up the baseball hat because like you have this moment where um, you have to right. turn it around to like, yeah. you know, uh, get that. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to, well, you know, I'll just go there because I'm bringing it up anyway. But um, I love how I'm trying to like say this in the most... Um, academic way but you know you want to have the best like blowjob experience and yeah. um I can understand like when I went to my first gay bars and I was like right in college and it was college night and you didn't have to be 21 and I was at Woody's in Philadelphia mm. um that there was exciting moments where like two guys were kissing and like you know um had me come over and they were like trying to get my attention by making out because mm -hmm. I found out they were like roommates at UPenn and it was mm -hmm. very scandalous. Um, but because I think that, you know, they were 
really open-minded with this group sexual mm-hmm. dynamic and it was thrilling it was exciting i made out with them and i think all of that is part of why we go to mm-hmm. a gay bar right like i would go i first went to really just be around the community of mm-hmm. men who identified as gay and to feel that i could be rom- like physical with them in yeah. a space that was yeah. you know as comfortable as possible, but you know, we know there's like, there's not always consent in those spaces, but yeah. Um, you know, so yeah, I know I offered a lot with my own experience. Um, no, no. And, and, and I think, I mean, that's the thing, uh, you know, well, first of all, you're not alone. Like I think, you know, a, a lot of the, the book reviews of, of, of gay bar are like <laughs> sometimes somewhere between like 10 to 40% like the author's own experiences because it kind of invites that. And I, that made me really glad that it felt like the, the fact that I'm um, getting back to that idea of being really, really specific about your, um, your ex- own experiences um, means that it kind of maybe probably does a better job at communicating. Um, I don't know, like opening up a conversation about what other people's very specific experiences are, rather than trying to speak on behalf of everybody. Um, I mean, the the why we went out is a bit of a red herring, really, in the title. The fact that I say we, I'm obviously not trying to speak for like the gay populace, but um, but where were we at? Oh, yeah. Well, my in terms of first going out, I mean, I think the thing that one thing that like uh, you know, I mean, I sort of. suggest it in the book and have articulated since is that like another thing that people don't really take don't necessarily speak about um so much is that um you know I was taken out um and and I wasn't like I didn't kind of like sort of um hatch a plan to um find the the one gay bar in town and and get myself there and you know there's this narrative that you hear a lot especially from generations um the generation um and above before me this one spot in town and it's kind of shady and unmarked and you go and nervously circle the block and don't go in, but the next night you do and then everything changes and, you know, the drag queen brings you on stage and you make out with the handsome handsome bartender and you're a gay now, you know, and that kind of like, I didn't really seek that out. Um, I was taken along um, and kind of like pushed, pushed, pushed into these environments because I was sort of identified. And I think that's one of the things that I guess part it kind of overlaps with what we're talking about, about respectability um, um, is this idea of um, a kind of self-determination that at a certain point, I mean, obviously we need to respect each other's self-determination in terms of the fact that how we establish our place in the world um, and respecting um, what a person's um, self-identity is. But there's something else that happens as well that we can't control, which is how we're seen. Mm-hmm. And, um, and sometimes, there can be something maybe to be, um, there can be something illuminating about the way that we're seen. And I think I was sort of seen as sort of, you know, like people are like, this is a gay boy, let's get him um, over to like these cubs that we went to, um, you know, Studio One in, in the book in the LA chapter. Um, and um, and then obviously be horrible to him and <laughs> get all, into all kinds of gossip and cat fights and backstabbing and all that kind of horrible stuff <laughs> that happens. But, um, but I think that's important to me, that idea in a way that sort of like some, oh, I, I think where I was going with this is it cycles back to the, 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 that first chapter where it's much later, decades later, and I'm, I'm still going out and hanging out in bars and whatever. And, but like, there's a sort of passivity 
yeah. that I well, enter into this kind of street, like enter into the bar, especially this, like, because it's a cruise bar. And so it's like, has like a dark room or back room setup. And I enter into that with a kind of deliberate passivity to continue to be read by other people um, and, um, and see where that takes me sort of um, sexually, I suppose, you know. This is so interesting because, wow, this is like the um, Jeremy uh, psych psychology uh, session that I didn't expect, which is, you know, and you present this in your book, which I love, is really thinking about why, like the gay bar becomes this focal point for, um, you know, gay men and, you know, but I also had first gone to the gay bars of Philly mm -hmm. to dance and it was about dancing. It was about being oh, sure. with my friend who she had just come out as a lesbian and we went together. And then I think we brought like one of our ally friends who wanted to join along, who was my neighbor. Um, so it became this whole um, suburban group of like those who had come out and we went and danced and, you know, I love though that group dynamic because it's interesting. Like I realized I really didn't start going, I didn't really go by myself ever to a gay bar no. until I actually went to London in 2019. And I was like, you know what? Why don't I just like hang out at this bar? And I don't even know if it was a gay bar, but it was in Soho and, yeah. you know, and I was like just reading and eventually I did like chat with a guy near me, but I think I was always very nervous. Oh, for sure. To go by myself because of that vulnerability you're talking about. For sure. And that's so interesting. I mean, you know, you're younger than I am and we, we didn't, we didn't use the word ally, the people in the book who, who there are characters in the book who are like what you might call an ally now who are, and they were like, you know, like my, my gal pals that I was going to these places with. And they were, they were like, not there to support me really. They were like there to boss me around. <laughs> I mean, they were there to support me, but they were there to like, shove me into the into the into the world do you know what i mean um oh I so they were like it, trying to get you in those situations with men like no, hey sure. kiss the sky like yeah yeah you, you've got you, you, you gotta get laid you gotta meet my friend um so and so and so on yeah yeah i also wonder how much of that is like a fetish for the women but we could <laughs> i'm sure there's been studies done about you know straight women and like you know, if they do enjoy, not all straight women, but like, I'm yeah. sure there is a type of titillation when they're taking their friend out to a gay bar. Oh, I mean, I think, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know anything about this really, but just on, on a very personal level, anecdotally, um, I know that, I mean, I remember one of the, one of the character, you know, she's now sort of become a, a character in the, in the book who sort of was encouraging me to go out. I remember at one point in time, which isn't in the book, her saying something to me like, oh, well, you know, gay men, when they're together, their um, sexuality is so charged because you have two male sexual drives, you know, that this was her point of view, you know, oh. you have all this testosterone basically um, raging and we were sort of whatever we were, 17, 18 years old, especially so then. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I don't really know about I don't really know about the word fetish but I mean I think I think probably there was a sort of um cross identification that would involve um the, the I mean this is you know a while ago this is this is early 90s now so that that there there was a kind of a a a, a very 
well, uh, like commonly um, uh, accepted cultural construct that women didn't really have a kind of like overt sexual, you know, um, sexuality really. I mean, it would, you know, it was like the whole thing was, I mean, I remember growing up and just being kind of like, like women were objectified. They weren't like sort of looking. Um, and so I think I think where I'm getting at, um, and this is really just in a personal anecdotal way in terms of these these kinds of like friends that I was making is that I think that they were maybe um, finding a way to um, learn how to express themselves, find this common ground of being kind of like overtly and um, joyfully um, sex forward. Um, yeah, through making these connections. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, I've been to, like you, and what I love in the book is you take us like each chapter is oriented around a certain gay bar. And like, mm. we get the photo of the bar. Um, mm. We get your personal experience, right? Like that's the ultimate impetus always is like, what what was Jeremy's mm -hmm. feeling when he went to this bar? And like that sparks this whole historical journey of Indeed, how yeah. the bar is situated in the city. And I just love how you orient so like what really drew you to like knowing okay I'm going to center each section on a bar oh how, yeah I mean it was structured it definitely was just I mean I, I suppose when I I mean you know just to give like a, the kind of um basic presses like you know in the that around the time that the book was being conceived so many bars were closing it was before lockdown so they were closing just because of various other reasons right um such as assimilation which we mentioned before and real estate development and um and in the in the UK because um because it was so rampant and because the UK media is really is is sort of like really concentrated it's a small island so so it was a media topic and it kind of had this like one resolved narrative about it in a way which is like isn't this a shame you know and and, hmm. and I I felt like well what a strange thing to experience um like I was speaking about before, sort of how we're identified, you know, sometimes even before we learn how to self-identify um, or alongside and continuing to be alongside it. What a strange thing to 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 have these um, these symbols in the streets that are meant to kind of encapsulate uh, or locate um, a, a cultural identity um, disappearing. And um, so the questions about that for me were always sort of essayistic and they were always um, kind of um, memoiristic in terms of the fact like, well, how, what, what, is, what is the significance of, of this, um, observing this and, and not necessarily just taking the kind of um, narrative that seemed to be kind of um, con con becoming a consensus narrative around it, but actually looking at placing myself in it. And when, so then, it, then, uh, yeah, I mean, it's of course I could have like, it crossed my mind, like, okay, I could sell this book by like going to the oldest um, gay bar, you know, extant gay bar in, in, in Europe, which is in Copenhagen or, or going to, um, you know, the Stonewall Inn or something like that. And, and, and having these kind of like, there's another version of this book where they were like landmark, more landmark bars. Whereas I was like, because I'm a, a writer from um, experience, um, I knew the only way I was going to be able to do it to bring the kind of life that I bring to my writing was to do it through the memories of the places that I had been to. 
And I think it, I, a part of me was sort of like willfully choosing these sort of like bars that seem maybe a little bit um, banal or ordinary or not spectacular in a way. They're kind of like um, other, they, there's, there's similar versions in other towns that are like not world famous. Um, but the astonishing thing when you say that there's this kind of history that unravels, I sort of use the word palimpsest a lot in terms of the fact that like before my time there, I figure out like, oh, well, here, the, here in the 70s, it had this heyday mm. or also like a series of problematic instances, a lot of like violence and aggression and exclusion and all sorts of bad stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, I, then I would scratch the, the surface of these bars, obviously the bars that made it into the book that were kind of ordinary to me, but then realized that they had a phenomenal history of their own and, um, and really unique um, journeys each of the places. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you're right. You could have done like the, yeah, the landmark gay bars would have been such, and it's something that can be done, but it's not, it wouldn't come from your organic experience, like knowing intimately the place. Sure. I mean, or even... Right, like you could have tried to like do the scandal, like the scandalized version, which would be, okay, we're gonna choose the Eagle in Manhattan because it's a leather bar and yeah. I've heard tall tales about it. But yeah. again, sure. I mean, I've, I've been to the Eagle, but it was with my ex-boyfriend. So I really didn't get the, uh, we were propositioned by some men, but my ex-boyfriend, I realized at that moment that um, I was a little more curious about opening it up than he was and uh, well, Maybe that's why we're not together now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. It's about being sort of, I guess, what you might call a participant observer, you know, or, and also kind of like a wallflower participant. And I think, yeah, I mean, yeah, you hit the nail on the head in terms of the word curiosity. Like that, you were curious in the eagle and I was curious in these spaces, but just even as a driver of my writer, that's just like what, um, that's probably a, a good word to describe the motivating impulse yeah and I think when you're dating someone um and you go to these spaces like mm -hmm. there's going to be so much erotic energy and it's charged mm -hmm. and I like now realize that a conversation has to be had before going to a space with a partner because you know uh some interaction might happen and one person might be in favor of what happens and the others against it and then yeah. yeah, it's it's a recipe for disaster uh, if you don't talk through it. Um, it wasn't that dramatic, the actual act, but like looking back, all the pieces start to fit. Um, but, you know, talking about, you know, gay just identified like you've brought up you brought up symbolism. So like even I'm so close to Fire Island, I've been to the Pines and Cherry Grove mm. and we have like gay resort towns, whether it be. Providence Town or um, New Hope. Um, mm -hmm. I know I'm listing all Northeast places, but. Um, yeah, there's the Russian River, Grenville and um, North of, of San Francisco, Palm Springs there, and LA. Yeah. There we go, Palm Springs, yes. So, um, and neighborhoods have a very specific history too, like West Hollywood and, um, you know, in Philly, there's the neighborhood. All, most metropolitan areas have what was the neighborhood. But like, do you find that would that have been definitely a different book if you had tried to center it around your experience with the neighborhoods or resort towns compared to using the gay bar as your entryway? Uh, okay, hold on to that question because we'll be right back. But first, a word from our sponsor. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think it overlaps. I mean, I think the Castro um, chapter and, and the Shoreditch chapter in East London as well. I mean, I think they're very present. I mean, I think I leave bars um, probably a surprising, surprisingly amount of amount of the time in the book. I mean, I'm at home, I'm in domestic spaces and cafes and on the street and, and so on. So I think leaving, you know, I can't really, you know, I think that was a sort of a deliberate thing because you kind of can't really put into perspective what it is like to be inside of a space and until you also kind of include experiences that are outside of that space. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I certainly, I mean, I read, I read a lot of, of um, a lot of like texts from, um, from the areas that were kind of uh, pertinent to whatever um, uh, the kind of where I was constant, where and when I was concentrating. So in East London, I would be reading a lot of, um, like police monitoring reports and all kinds of um, and like local or uh, sort of um, London gay press um, pieces from the 1980s. Whereas in um, San Francisco, a lot of the stuff was 1970s, and I was reading like um, um, sociological reports. And then and then before that, 50s and 60s, I was reading a lot of legal opinions, a lot of court cases, which I think are really really revealing um, in terms of not just whether an, a particular bar stays open or closed, but you know, on a kind of existential level about what it is to 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 be gay or what it is to do gay. So we were talking about the Twin Peaks Tavern earlier. You could be a gay person in that bar, but you couldn't do gay things. And I think I find that really fascinating, kind of almost like philosophy of, of law. Um, but yeah, in terms of the gay, I don't know. You know, the one thing, I've never been to Fire Island, but I have to say, I was absolutely overjoyed when I found out um, You've probably already seen the movie Fire Island. It's I haven't like, seen no, it yet, uh, but I need to I see was, it. I was just introduced to it. That, uh, I just saw the trailer recently, and I was just overjoyed that it's so focused on Asian American men, on um, sort of like co conflicts be between various levels of effeminacy and masculinity, and and all this stuff because. Um, it's not what I expected. You know, you hear the word Fire Island and you think that you're going to get the narrative that you've been told before, the kind of... Um, um, the jockey, like a jockey gay white man. Or, yeah, yeah, I was absolutely yeah. thrilled. I was like, oh, wow, this is really like, and I think, and it takes some getting used to, I think now that we're almost like having this kind of um, revisionist viewpoint, for lack of a better term, of these kinds of particular narratives that is probably kind of surprising people. And I think that in a way, you know, my book falls into that where it's like, I can't um, hide the fact that I'm um, mixed race Asian American, that like whatever kind of various um, principles um, uh of of being that i that i are or or experiences of being that i bring are like not necessarily the kind of i version of like a neutral <laughs> narrator that i think we've we subconsciously you know as readers um what quite widely have held that there is some kind of like neutral voice that you expect to be writing this book 
Yeah, and the other thing that is yeah. funny about this book in a, in a way since it's been out in the world is um, for some reason, there's been like another reader. I've noticed I've, I've had some like feedback uh, or experienced some feedback um, online and stuff where people didn't kind of see where I was coming from. And we're saying like, oh, I wish there was like, this was there, this involved more POC people. I've heard stuff like that. And I'm like, oh, well, your narrator is POC. Some of the characters are in the book probably, um, um, I don't make necessarily mention of um, people's um, gender experiences or their racialized identities or whatever like that. And so that's been extraordinarily um, interesting for me to witness that even as I am doing this sort of, uh, casual project of revision um that it's still the the the, the presumption that i probably am like a cis white straight not straight <laughs> a cis white gay dude oh no it's uh, actually funny i'll have to shout out my friend scott because scott i love him he is straight he's white but he's the one who would always want like bring me to fire island to the pines because he yeah. loves well, I don't want to air too much of his business, but it's not anything like untoward. He um, like just loved going to a place mm. where he could like, you know, be comfortable in um, laying out in mm -hmm. the nude and like not being judged for it. Because it's true. There aren't many beaches where like men can feel comfortable doing that unless it's you know, like nude beaches, I think have a different connotation depending on like where you are and all of that. But I always found it funny that like my introduction to Fire Island would always be from my straight friend, like wanting me to go. That's amazing. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. These are exactly these kinds of intersections that we don't necessarily talk about. We do have, I've moved down to um, the, the South coast of, of England. That's kind of primarily where I am based now. And um, um, we do have a small nude beach and it, it, there is an overlap you know, there's families and, um, and then there's a lot of gay men. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and you see that on fire Island too. And I think like, I'm glad that you brought up the movie because I'm also, um, not sure if you know him, but Jack Parlett, mm -hmm. um, is coming out with a whole, um, cultural study of fire Island and I'm interviewing yeah. him soon. Yeah. I blurbed the book. I, Oh, uh, good. Okay. Yeah. It's very, um, his, Slant is very literary, so um, that's uh, a, a, a very interesting take on it, I think. Um, yeah, it's worth a read, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, I think since you brought up the literary, um, and hopefully Scott, well, I didn't say too much about Scott, so <laughs> it's okay. It's all <laughs> good things. It's all good things. Um, I was going to say, I have, like, other Fire Island stories just about but it's true, like I like going to Fire Island because of that experience of the nude beach and feeling that you're not, you know, I think a lot of people think you're going to be judged, but there's all shapes and sizes at Fire Island. But yeah, like you get to the heart of the mythos, like how are these places popularized in culture and in film and in literature? And like, you're right, for a long time, there's like the gay white fantasy. Mm -hmm. Um but okay, so I think I have to, I'm wearing my Whitman shirt just in honor of this. Mm -hmm. I don't remember if I knew you had quoted Whitman at the beginning when I first bought your book a year ago. I don't think I did. So it's funny to me how Whitman keeps coming back into these queer texts yes. that are being published. But I love how you start with one of his calamus quotes mm -hmm. and you have the 
quote about a long while amid the noises of coming and going of drinking and oath and smutty jest. There we two contend, happy in being together, speaking little, perhaps not a word. And mm-hmm. I just have to ask why that specific calamus. So that quote. Uh, that it's 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 generally agreed. I think that he was writing about faffs um, in in Manhattan, um, Lower Manhattan, um, I believe, which is where um, which is a sort of um, um, what what you know what in in in, in a, for a, for a while somebody might call it work in and I mentioned in my book that people call a gray bar you know like a, it's sort of like that was a gathering spot um, for um, for local um, men who who slept with men um, and and it's not Faf's is I I I I've mentioned Faf in, a, in an essay that I've written before but it's not in gay bar. Um, but it was the romance. You know what it was? It was the thing. I think originally my 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 the main epigraph of the book was um, a quote from um, Roland Barthes about the death of adjectives, um, which was a reference to the fact that what if there is no more gay bar, but just you know all, you know a bar that might have some gay people in it, um, and that was a kind of a more of a theoretical epigraph. Um, you know the death of the death. What does the death of the gay bar mean? The death of of gay itself, mm-hmm. and then that Calamus quote that I put in, um, that I replaced it with. Um, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that the two characters seem to be very much in love, um, and that their love is um, kind of um, like they have sort of on, only eyes for each other in the center of this room, but at the same room time, they're very much a par- participating in this room and do have eyes uh, all over the rest of the room. And yeah, I think that that energy was very special to me in terms of the fact that it's sort of, you know, we get so ma- we get fed so many gay romance narratives and there's really a love story at the heart of, of, of my book. And so, and that, and as that developed and really kind of became, became centralized, that's one of the reasons that epigraph was the one that sort of won. Um, but you, you know, we get so many gay narratives like call me by your name or Brookback mountain or, um, even moonlight that are about that really about, uh, relationships in isolation. And um, it's almost a kind of, um, there's almost a kind of dismissiveness of um, the sort of social um, mm. milieu in which some get like, um, I don't wanna say dismissive, but there's almost a, a sort of like a, a neglect for that. There, there, I, I feel like you feel less stories about, uh, hey, maybe um, Fire Island's gonna be a good one about, um, which, which neither of us have seen yet, about romance that occurs within, for instance, a, a, a gay bar um, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. population. Um, there's a book here called, um, uh, um, it, it doesn't have much presence in the States um, by a British writer called Neil, Neil Bartlett um, called Ready to Catch Him Should He Fall, which is a really beautiful book. And it's such a good um, story about a romance between uh, a younger and older man in, in a bar. And like everyone in the bar is completely up in their shit and a lot of them have slept with either one, if not both of them. And it's not only the other people who are a part of the bar, um, but um, sort of queer ghosts come to visit them as well. Um, so that was a really 
informative book in terms of the fact that um, I didn't want to tell these, it, it's not a story about isolation. So th this is good, a long-winded answer to say that Walt Whitman is there because in that, in that, in those lines, um, in the, those, that verse, he's both in love with one person and kind of in love with the rest of the room. Um, but Walt Whitman is also present throughout the book because I think he really represents, you know, it's, he's sort of a proto-clone this kind of appropriation of working men's clothes and um, this kind of performant masculine and working class performativity, which comes up in a couple of different chapters of the book. Yeah, well, I'm, you know, I'm excited that you speak to Whit Whitman's cruising dynamic. That's actually why I first mm. connected to Jack because he wrote about the poetics of cruising and I'm all into mm -hmm. um, this connective, like homoerotic male desire that mm -hmm. just is pulsating. Like you've brought it from that section um, of Calamus called A Glimpse, but mm -hmm. it's one poem that I love so much is called We Two Boys. And mm -hmm. right, I'm sure you've read it, but it's about them clinging together. And there's almost this North and South Civil War illusion that's happening there. But yep. at the end of the day, there's still two men coming together. And sure. um I love that he's always, Whitman was always interested in um, the connective bodies. Um, and I love how you kind of show the other side, which is what we've seen so much with gay um, representation, which is isolation. So yeah, it's nice to see kind of going now more into this. Mm -hmm. Like, I hope that Fire Island, I'm excited now, we're gonna have to, We'll have to chat offline to see what we yeah, think of it. But, yeah, um, I mean, I love Bo and Yang, so. Um, yeah. Right, I'm no, excited. No, no, no. Oh, and I think, isn't, yeah, Margaret Cho, isn't she in it? it? Is, yeah. Yes, Margaret yes, yes. Is, yeah. um, <laughs> and then there's a new Queer as Folk coming out too. Yeah, I didn't see the, I didn't see the American. I've only seen the original British Queer as Folk. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, um, just because I know Ryan O'Connell. Yeah is in the new one, but yeah. So there's there's a lot coming out in the media. Um, so I think I definitely have to bring up, I am, I'm sure a mentor or she has to be a major presence in your life, which is Maggie Nelson. Like, yeah. how do you know Maggie? Well, she's not a mentor. I, oh. um, I mean, I, I, in, it, outside of the, uh, the page, um, she, I, I actually, I think, I think when I go, I'm going, um, we'll be in Los Angeles soon, which was where my family is, I will finally get to meet her. Um, uh, but yeah, no, I didn't, I just, that's a, just a part of the kind of um, the process of sending out, you mean in, in terms of her? Well, sort of yeah. So for everyone out there, Maggie Nelson, who I was first introduced to, I think a lot of readers know the Argonauts, her mm -hmm. auto theory memoir, well, I guess that is auto theory, but we could talk about that. But um, yeah, her use of scholarly um, queer research, but also speaking to her memoir. And like, in my opinion, that's like what brings you two together is you both kind of have that same um, auto theory that you're speaking yeah. to the general public who are yeah. just really invested in these topics. And it doesn't have to just be, a scholarly audience. So I love, you know, sure. that connection. But yeah, she says that gay bar is an absolute tour de force. I mean, is on the cover, is literally on the front page. Yeah. Um, 
And then she can't remember the last time she's been so happily surprised and enchanted by a book. So, I mean, very glowing praise. Yeah, um, and, and I mean, I think especially like, it's interesting that you presumed that we knew each other um, because f f for her to be so fulsome and kind and um, um, supportive um, without knowing each other um, made all the difference in terms of the fact that it wasn't sort of um, a favor. It was sort of, um, I, I was really surprised and completely elated when that, that came in to my, um, into my inbox, my email inbox. But, um, but I think what you're recognizing there, maybe intuiting is a kind of um, communication that we do have through book, which is what we, what we, what we have through books is just that even though um, she and I have never met, um, uh, you know, I quoted um, from Rebecca Solnit recently um, in something that I wrote um, where she says books are solitudes in which we meet. And I think um, that in that case, um, it is like a sort of, in a way, it's a, it, it's a, in a way it's a lie to say that we don't know each other because we've read each other's books, right? <laughs> So um, even though like um, you're, you're, you, one writes performatively and um, as I say in my book, memoirs drag, you can never really know, you know, my, 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 my voice as an author is, is, is a character, is a performance, um, mm. a performative act. It has to be because, you know, you, we, we can't show um, our wholeness, even if we knew that wholeness. Um, but what we do, but what we do kind of, um, hopefully generate when we put out there is that we zing um, back and forth some ideas and 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 con connect and do kind of in a, in a way know each other so this idea of solitude solitudes in which we meet and I think before um, Andrew before we started recording this we were talking about um, you know some of your your gay bar experiences and I was saying how much um, how common it is it, it is that that's the reaction that um, people talk to me about um, their experiences um, as much as as if not more than 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 what they've read of mine in my book, which is great. It's wonderful. It's exactly what it should do: is generate conversation, and um, then I'm able to continue to listen to other people's stories as well. Yeah, yeah. And if you have just a few more minutes, is that okay, Jeremy? Yeah, totally. Okay, okay. Just because, yeah, I think, and that's exactly what I. Um, intuited, I love that word. So I'm gonna, again, borrow from what you're saying in your language um, is like what I've loved about Maggie Nelson's work mm -hmm. is auto theory, which I know sounds jargony, but basically um, bringing in the personal to your observation, yeah. to your writerly voice. Like you're bringing in your personal yeah. voice to speak about what could be a very, technical scholarly topic. And I love that, like, whether it be through her journey and her relationships, but mm -hmm. her studying under Eve Sedgwick, I know is like a big part of the Argonauts. Um, like you also bring in so many queer scholars and like you mentioned David Halperin, but you bring in different studies, but it's all centered on your own subjectivity. And I just think it's a really great way of showing what can be done with scholarly knowledge to bring it to those who are who are so curious about, okay, well, why 
is Jeremy focusing on a gay bar? What does that tell us about our life and society? Mm -hmm. But like, if it's only in the university, like under paywall, they probably are not going to access those articles or really there's a certain barrier. So like, you know, what is, what does it mean for you to be part of this kind of memoir style of scholarship? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't think of myself as a scholar. So that, so that, I mean, I, and it, and it, 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 um, it, it's, it's funny because you, you sort of spoke, mentioned sort of bringing, bringing the personal voice and personal experience to a kind of um, a sort of scholarly inquiry. And in a way, so I guess I sort of think of it as the opposite that I'm sort of a memoirist who just happens to be interested in the world around me. So when I write about my impressions and observations, it's always going to involve like a deep dig into history um, to whichever extent it um, seems appropriate. And um, I love archival research and just like all sorts of research, like I was saying earlier, reading legal opinions and things like that. Um, Theory, yes, because, but I mean, it's funny. I mean, I think theory in the book almost kind of serves a sort of poetic plays a sort of poetic role. I don't really know. I don't, I don't really, um, I, I don't think it probably, I mean, I'm saying this spontaneously, but I don't think it probably is the spine or the, um, the glue of the, of the um, ideas of the book. I think um, those come from more from events um, kind of, um, facts and events as Hannah Arendt might say or just sort of um um uh yeah I guess I guess there's quite a bit of history um my personal history of course as well um but yeah I don't know I mean bringing all that stuff together it's sort of I mean there's another line in the book that where I say collage is so gay but I think it's kind of a collage in a lot of ways and it's just sort of like there's this Marcel Proust line where he talks about you know, you should quote other people for, because like they probably said something more interesting than you did. And I think that, um, you know, I just, I do have fun, fun with that. Like that is like, I think when you ask like, what's it like to be a sort of, um, I think the question was like, what's it like to be a part of this kind of um, dialogue, I suppose, with other authors or to be placed in. And it, for me, it's just sort of like, I wouldn't want to do it if I wasn't sort of having a good time. Um, and I don't, I really don't think it's that far away from, um, I make a lot of mixtapes, mixtapes and playlists to, to sort of um, um, adjacent to the book, as well as on separate sort of subject areas and sort of inquiries. And I don't think in a way it's that that different from making from mu- make, mixing music together. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I think it was a relief um, uh, when I, I, I won um, the National Book Critics Circle Award recently, which was um, a total surprise. Um, but um, I think it was, a, it, I, I, ever since I was nominated, um, I was uh, uh, or announced as a finalist. Um, I was so glad that they um, they cho- chose the book for the autobiography um, category because um, the as far as I'm aware, they consider books and then and then put them into a, the category where they think it belongs um, as a part of the process. And um, it meant a lot to me that it would be seen that way because if I'm writing from a position of um, personal experience, 
experience, <laughs> then it makes me seem like a lot less of a solipsistic person where I'm like, well, he's writing his story, but yet look how much he brings in about, um, you know, this, this um, cruising zone in the 1700s in, in London and the, this bar in uh, San Francisco in the 1970s. Um, whereas I, I can imagine if somebody approached the book and thought I was trying to do a cultural history of the gay bar, like we get about the cultural history of salt or any given given topic um, that they think, well, wait, why is he talking so much about his cap and turning it around? Well, and I think that I, I'm gonna definitely borrow, or I think you should coin collage theory. Cause I think that's such an interesting way to think about what you, you know, what is so enriching and exciting about gay bar. Yeah. your book and I love this type of approach even when I like I'm when I'm going to be well by the time this comes out I will have given my mm. Whitman's Victorian queer reader presentation in San Francisco but um so hopefully when I'm listening back to this I had such a great time with all the gay bars um but yeah yeah like I love giving presentations that give that type of um collage that's sensory experience of, you know, really evoking the period and not just quoting of Scott, like not just quoting a theorist and applying that theory. Cause I think that's when yeah. I like myself too, I start to lose the thread of the person's investment in the topic because then it, you know, it becomes very um, traditional in uh -huh. um, really making it forcing some theory to work. And it's, yeah, yeah. Have you read Foucault in Pencil? It's like a very short story by L Lydia Davis. No, oh, I have to. <laughs> it's great because she um, speaks about, you, it just reminded me um, when you spoke about um, losing the thread. Um, in True to Her Nature, it's a very short story. I think it's three pages, maybe four. <laughs> She's in a, um, a waiting room and she, um, is trying to focus on reading Foucault and is having trouble focusing as far as I remember, then goes onto the, onto the subway. Um, and she realizes that she can break apart when the uh, subject of the sentence is um, abstract, mm. like the law or power or something like that. By the time that she gets to the end of the sentence, she's lost the thread, as you say. But when he's begun with a kind of, like a person, place, or thing when the subject of the sentence is um prisons or oh. schools or um you know then she's able to follow the sentence through to the end oh. and I think that's that there's a kind of a relief that's like a, it's like a relatable content this short story isn't it but it's also kind of like a relief that because it reminds you that if a lot of us are thinking this way and are um the way that we're trying to configure out uh to configure the meaningfulness of a given um, site, in my case, in gay bar or a series of propositions or whatever, um, it's really liberating that if you were able to focus around a person, place, or thing, um, that it seems to be quite widespread, that it's something that a lot of people seem to be able to engage with more readily. Um, so that's been a guiding force for me. And that's why, um, getting back to a question that you asked earlier, why it, it's so located, this book, in very particular places. So you won't get a chapter that says this chapter is about racism or this chapter is about um, the erasure of, um, of um, uh, uh, promiscuous sexuality. Mm -hmm. it's, 
they're about they're they're more focused on a particular site and then all those questions rotate around that site yeah well and i was listening i've been listening uh to the audiobook version and first everyone out there if you love audio immersive experiences like everyone knows i'm a huge well, first of all, I'm hosting a podcast, but <laughs> you know, well, there are some podcasters who don't like audio, but um, I love what you do because in a way it is an extended, Gay Bar works so well as an extended podcast, Jeremy. And yeah. it really feels like you're taking us through, like your voice just really highlights and yeah. animates all of these moments. Like you said, like you really bring alive um, questions around consent, questions around race, questions yeah. around women in these spaces, questions around what does yeah. it mean to just be LGBTQ plus, like all the yeah. different branches. And yeah. I think that it's really, it's wonderful that you really give us the reader the power to question these hard-hitting questions. <laughs> Sorry, I'm saying question a lot, but yeah. to question these hard-hitting moments that you're yeah, really not yeah. just giving us an answer. Oh, for sure. And the, it's been it's been such a it's been such a um, expansive experience. Putting, I mean, I didn't. To be perfectly honest, this so the paperback book has just come out in the U.S. and it's been oh gosh, I guess when when did the the, the hardback came out in February 2021. So it's a it's a funny thing for me to look back and think, oh my god, I've been like living with the book as a product out in the world longer than I've wrote it at this point in time. Now I think I took to wrote. I wrote the book very quickly, and um um. Uh, and it, oh yeah, so it's been so it's been and this one of the great joys of that though is is that I, I've been able to it's 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 taken all these on all these expansive iterations. So in a certain context, I can give a slideshow with video and show you some of the things that are in the book that are um, are only maybe half a sentence in the book. Um, an example would be um, mention of um, how um, gay men in Los Angeles used to go onto Soul Train and take the moves that are like proto-voguing moves onto, um, onto Soul Train, which is primarily known as um, um, a, 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 show, a showcase of African-American music, but um, it intersects with queerness in a way which I hadn't really considered before. It's like a sentence or so in the, in the book, but then in, in, in an interactive um, lecture, I can show clips from Soul Train and kind of engage with the audience, again, on both a personal level um, and um, kind of pop, pop culture, history. Um, and then I did a show for NTS radio where I combined songs that are in the book with like excerpts from the book. And I, I really, I'm, I'm actually really quite proud of it there. I don't think that I say that very often where I'm, that I'm proud of something. Cause I'm, I'm always, I kind of suffer from perfectionism and, um, and so on, but I am really pleased with the radio show. And um, if anything, I kind of, um, a part of me wishes I could go back and do the audiobook after having done the radio show, because when I did the radio show, putting music behind my voice, because I think I'm a very rhythmic writer anyway. I mean, I don't know about you or other writers who are listening, but I, I read out loud a lot while I'm working. It's a very important part of my mm. practice to figure out um, the prosody, I suppose, of the, you know, the language that I'm using. But um, but yeah, it was a great experience to figure out like what it sounds like to have music beneath your rhythm. Uh, yeah. 
slow disco and things like that and to figure out. Um, so yeah, I think it's going to continue. I mean, I've got to write my next book, <laughs> but the gay bar um, ha has been sort of um, a perpetually giving, <laughs> I don't want to call it the gift that keeps on giving, but whatever, you know, the, uh, the, the, the ball of yarn that seems to just keep getting bigger. I don't know what the analogy is. Yeah. Well, and your next work is going to come from these, you know, Oh, for sure. This expansive yeah. process. Like, well, and also congratulations on, you said it's the National Book Critics, wait, no. Yeah, don't worry. It's the National Book Critics Circle Award. Yeah. There you go. The National yeah. Book Critics Circle Award. Well, congratulations yeah. on that. That is a huge Thank achievement. You. Um, <laughs> yeah. Also, yes, definitely celebrate the festivities around the paperback coming out in, um, the US, which I've seen you have so many exciting talks that are accompanying that. Um, I've listened to Jeremy's Spotify playlist, which is wonderful for Gay Bar. Um, so yeah, no, this has been wonderful, Jeremy. I can't wait to bring you back on with whatever. <laughs> we're not gonna, we're, I'm not gonna make any conjecture about the next work because I don't want you <laughs> to have to think about what's the next site of focus for you. Oh, but... No, no, it's, it's, it's under contract. So that's, oh, okay. that's, that's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm contracted to write it. So I'm already kind of almost there. I just have to, um, as freelance writers do sort of, sort of tie up some, some projects that I'm smaller scale projects that I'm working on so that I can kind of clear the, clear the, um, clear my mind. Um, but yeah, thank you so much. Of course, of course, I'd love to chat again. And, and thank you for this opportunity to, to chat about um, the book. It's been a while since I've done an interview about Gay Bar. So it's nice to um, <laughs> re-engage the world. Yeah. And are you allowed to tell us what your next book is called or? Yeah, it's called Deep House. And it's a book that um, I'm probably still struggling to kind of um, nail the brief description, but it continues, um, primarily continues the love story that's at the heart of Gay Bar. And um, so it's a book about um, a relationship before and after the advent of gay marriage, uh, cross, a cross-border relationship before the advent of gay marriage. So it kind of examines um, what um, kind of um, gay marriage legitimized and so um, provided in that way, but but maybe in a way, not not what we're missing, but just um, what was different, I suppose, um, before in terms of formulating um, kind of, I suppose, non-heteronormative um, domestic arrangements. Um, but uh, that it's, um, the way that my process works is that um, I've got a bunch of different places that I want to land, but um, I'm willing to, I'm willing to be open to discovery because that's that's just as I said earlier that's what keeps me motivated is to be feeling adventurous. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm excited for it. Please. Thanks. I don't think I yes. know another book that's about a relationship before and after gay marriage. So, um, well, correct me if I'm wrong, or maybe somebody. Will, I'm sure I'll start figuring out what already exists. But um, but I'm excited to share that story because it's so meaningful to me personally. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't know off the top of my head. Is it a so is it um an autobiography or is this a novel? 
No, no, it's not a novel. I think uh -oh. that it's, I, I can sound confusing. I, I, it can sound confusing sometimes because um, when, when you write narrative nonfiction, which I suppose is one way that you could characterize my work or creative nonfiction or something like that. Um, so behind the scenes, often the vocabulary is sort of the same as, um, as fiction. So mm -hmm. like I refer to people in my book as characters. I mean, I have to because they have been, um, details have been changed in order to protect privacy and stuff like that. Um, so it probably sounds like, it probably sounds like a novel the way that I describe it, but it yeah, should be very yeah. much in the same, in the same, um, in the same, um, spirit. Well, I'm excited That's that it's going to continue this <laughs> like too, narrative huh? nonfiction. Yes. Yes. That you've laid out. Well, I'm excited for you to come back on. Thank you again, Thank you. Jeremy, everyone, Thank please you. who's listening, get your hands on gay bar. Um, why we went out. Um, yep. Now there's a paperback version. Um, cheaper, <laughs> more affordable. Yeah, a little cheaper. A and also, you it know, if you want to hear an extended version of Jeremy speaking, check out the audiobook, which is really, really good. Um, yeah, can't wait to have you back on. And, you know, now I'm so excited to like go and put on my uh, gay bar eyes for analyzing all the spaces that I'm going to be around this summer. So yeah, have, have thank fun. you for that, Jeremy. And we'll have to talk have about Fire Island. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Bye to everyone out there. Bye, Jeremy. Bye. Thank you. You are making a Thank you so much for listening to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room or True Crime in Academia. I'm Andrew Rimby, the Executive Director. Our team includes Mary DePippi, our Chief Contributor, Nicole Arguello, our Marketing Assistant, and Kimberly Dallas, our Editor. Ivory Tower Boiler Room episodes come out on Monday, and sometimes I'm joined by a guest co-host. Make sure you follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Ivory Tower Boiler Room and on Twitter at Ivory Boiler Room. And here's Mary. Hello, everyone. I am the host of True Crime and Academia. Do not forget to follow True Crime and Academia on Instagram and TikTok at True Crime and Academia. And coming soon, there will be a Twitter also at True Crime and Academia. Now, if you're like me, you like to have bonus episodes. I love extra content, don't you? So go to patreon.com slash ivory tower boiler room. Not only do you have access to our video interviews, but you will also be able to access never before seen bonus episodes. So like I said, you can't, we don't release them anywhere else. You can only get those on Patreon. So go to patreon.com slash ivory tower boiler room and become a subscriber today. And don't forget to listen to ivory tower boiler room on Mondays and true crime and academia on Tuesdays.